Society Podcast. This is Franz Bowen. This is Trav Weeks. Sir, and with another installment of the Driven Society Podcast. And today we have the owner <laughs> of Momentum Risk Management, Ms. Sylvia Alston. Hi, how are you? Doing well. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to, to vibe with you brothers, you young brothers. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, thank you. Um, Sylvia, actually, um, we've actually connected throughout the years. It's so weird. Like one of my other mentors and uh, um, um, colleagues, um, Davis Singer, great guy, um, connected me to you a little while ago and then it came back around with my auntie Shirley. I'm like, oh man, like we really got to connect this time around. Like it was crazy, but you have an amazing story. Like I was just saying, like what you represent um, in your industry, as an owner of an insurance company is is, is so powerful and, and um, really just exceptional. And um, we don't really get to hear these type of stories in the marketplace. And just even hear how you even got even involved in this. And also as your, you know, as your, the other things you do as being on Sirius and also being a platform for other voices as well too. But we like to start with the beginning. Just tell us where you're from and how'd you get involved in the insurance business? So thank you, thank you both so much for the opportunity to be here. I really, really appreciate it. Um, just being able to just share my story with your demographic and your guests. So I appreciate the opportunity. Um, so essentially, you know, I got the I got the the insurance bug. I don't think anybody sets out to start their life to and says, "Hey, I want to go into insurance," right? Except for mostly people who were raised in the industry. Like I know kids of owners, you know, their family members owned insurance brokerages and they went into the business naturally. So it was a natural transition. But in our community, I don't traditionally see anybody wake up one day and say, you know, I want to be an insurance broker. Right. So how it happened was honestly, I fell into it. I was um, in college at Morgan State University um, historically black college and university based in Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, the only national treasure in the state of Maryland. I just want to throw that nod out there. Um, but I kind of didn't know what I wanted to do. You know, my friends at the time were, it was the 90s. So, you know, a lot of people were going into um, either the music business and they were doing A&R or... That's when the music business was like... Right? Oh, yeah, it, was, it, was, it was popping, yeah. So today, most of my friends who went into the music business are music executives and they do very well, right? Um, I kind of wanted to be in the entertainment business, but I really thought I wanted to be on the back end, on the business side, um, and wasn't really sure what I wanted that to look like. I just knew I talked a lot, you know, and, and, and I enjoyed talking to people. I enjoyed helping people. Of course, I love music, but I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Um, and so I went to school with an undeclared major and just found myself in the speech communication department where I was like really learning how to talk to people and um, really learning how to speak extemporaneously and off the cuff. And I went to a job fair and at the job fair, you know, I was recruited by an insurance company, not really, you know, um, but kind of just like to come in and test the waters a little bit and intern. And I did that, didn't necessarily love it. And then I started working for Enterprise Rent-A-Car. And while I was working for Enterprise Rent-A-Car, I was handling their claims adjusting. 
You know, um, I, I've heard at least six or seven other people tell me this story, that they worked at Enterprise Rent-A-Car, that they were in a management training program and it just like led them somewhat, somewhere else. So, you know, um, I say, all, yeah, listen, I say all the time, you know, don't discount your humble beginnings, right? Because who knows, you know, where it can, where it can take you in life. But it was like just processing claims adjustments um, for enterprise, because we were in a section of the city of Baltimore where like people were really banging, they were really banging these cars up. Can I curse on here? <laughs> they were really, they were really banging these cars up, right? And so um, I would, that was my responsibility. And it just went from claims adjusting to, I went back to that company after intern and they offered me a full-time job. Um, and I did sales and insurance um, in, in group sales for a long time. And then I just decided that I'm going to head back to Jersey. And when I came back to Jersey, you know, to make my life, um, an opportunity came up to be an insurance broker. And I, re- I wasn't really even familiar with the term, honestly. Right. Um, I knew of insurance agents. I didn't know what a broker was or the difference. Um, what is it? So an insurance broker essentially is you don't necessarily work for the company you work for the clients, right? And so individual brokerage agencies are set up to either represent clients or represent businesses. And so I went into the personal end of the business and so I just was managing people's assets and wealth. And I got intrigued from that because honestly, like I was really blown away by how much much wealth people were honestly amassing, right? I grew up very humble, you know, People weren't owning boats and um, four or five residences where I grew up. So, I mean, it was like, that was the start of like what really intrigued me. And honestly, I just started having conversations with people and in, in, in the process of protecting their assets, I just started asking questions about how they built their money, you know? Mm-hmm. And the, often those stories were essentially that they started a business or, you know, they were just in the right place at the right time and fell into something that they really enjoyed. And it just, it grew and grew and grew. Um, very few people that I talked to, you know, came from wealth. A few families, you know, came from, from wealth, but most people had amassed the wealth on their own. Um, and that was really intriguing to me. Really Question for you to jump in. What types of, I'm always interested, especially for our audience. Um, what type of assets were you um, insuring and what what were some, you know, these individuals that you were working with your clients, what were some assets that even like, you know, surprised you? Like, wow, I didn't even think of that. Uh, I didn't even know this could be an asset or I didn't even like, you know, cause a lot of times when we think of assets, we may think of just a home or, you know, maybe, um, you know, um, um, some sort of stocks and bonds. What are different types of assets that you were introduced to at that time? So honestly, real property. So I I insured a lot of people's homes. Um, But I will also tell you that a lot of people make huge investments in, um, in art. You know, it was my first, it was my first foray into understanding art as a commodity. Um, you know, working in, working with the ultra high net worth or working with super wealthy people, you see how money just continues to grow, right? And it, it, it grows by paper and cents, but it also grows by the types of assets that, you know, people buy, the type of artists that people support. Um, 
one of my biggest clients was a Turkish retailer. He owned um, he he owned a carpet company in New York, and wow. he he sold rugs, right? And those that business took him all over the globe. And it was that business that I actually that I, how I met him, how I was introduced to him, and how I met a lot of my client base. You know who who he was selling rugs to. Um, so you'd honestly be surprised how wealth amasses in other communities, right? It's things that we don't necessarily think about or take stock in. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember the first time I heard, when I heard Jay-Z talk about, you know, buying art on, or well, he talked about it on a couple of albums, but I think he really de- dived deep into it on 444. Um, sure. You know, and I think it was the first time that people kind of like, heard people talking about it like you know as as a com- as a commodity this is what wealthy communities do um things that we don't necessarily think about you know we buy things a lot of times that will depreciate whereas wealthy communities purchase things that are going to appreciate and, and over time add value mm-hmm. and then pass those things down generationally you know and they continue to they continue to amass value Man, it has to be a really um jarring experience to you know, discover this world of finance that's just happening and has been happening. And and then you start to think like, damn, we're so far behind. Yeah. What are some of the, um, I guess, the first couple of lessons that you you learned when you started working with high net worth individuals that were transferable to people of um, lesser means? Well, you know, for me, I think one of the things that hit me very early on, I felt um, sometimes I felt out of place, right? Because I had gone to school for insurance, you know, um, got licenses and that type of thing. And so you read this stuff in the, in these books, right? And you don't think that, all right, all right, I see it in this book, maybe I'll be able to apply it in real life. But I mean, literally almost instantly, we were applying things that I learned, terminology that I learned into, into real life day-to-day um, scenarios. And I think I don't think I ever realized growing up how much money, you know, was generated in this country. I I, I don't think I had any concept, maybe because I, I mean, I grew up around people who lived okay or who did well, right? Um, but I, I remember going to college and being like really out of, I couldn't believe it. Like, you know, I, I was raised in a single parent household. My parents loved each other, but they didn't stay together, right? So not having an opportunity to see that wealth amassed together, what two salaries can do as opposed to one, right? When I go to college and now I'm around all of these people who came from two-parent households, right? And just see how how better off they were than I, than I was. That was a realization, right? And then moving into the professional world where now I'm talking to people about this terminology and, and, and this discipline I supposedly studied for, right, and, 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 and got licenses for. But these people are really doing it in real life. You know, for, for a minute, it made me feel like an imposter, right? Because how can I talk to people about preserving their money? I don't have any money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? They do. You know, they don't necessarily need my tricks of the trades on, on, on how to preserve their assets and their wealth. They've already got it. But it was the, the more that I learned, you know, the deeper I studied my craft, um, I, I realized that I really did have something to offer um, the industry. Having great mentors um, also did a lot, you know, for my career because people taught me the lingo. They taught, 
taught me how to speak to people um, about their wealth. You know, one of the people, Travis, you mentioned in the, in, in the beginning of the episode, you mentioned your aunt. Honestly, Shirley was the first Black woman um, that I worked for and had an opportunity to study behind and see work at a space of excellence, right? And I and I kind of I kind of modeled a lot of my career off of what I saw her do, um, and, and and she was excellent. She was excellent at it. Uh, and people with money trusted her, and I and I think that was one of the first lessons that I really learned in business is that in order for people to do business with you, they have to trust that a you know what you're saying, b you know what you're doing, and and c that you won't mess up. And if you do mess up, that you'll be accountable for your mistakes. You know, um, and 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 those were some of like the earliest lessons that I learned, and I think that stuck with me throughout my, throughout my career. I'm, I don't think anybody gets into the business or, or any business for that, for that mind and, and, and think that they're not going to make mistakes. We all do, but it's how quickly you learn from them, how quick you bounce back from them. And then, you know, how much time you're willing to devote to your craft. And I was willing to devote the time to my craft. Absolutely. Absolutely. In building, um, your business, uh, what are some of the, the, uh, assets that need the most protection or or the thing that comes up the most in in your uh, line of trade well i think working with people who have money and now owning a business or owning a brokerage that um that speaks to or we seek out you know people from my own community um I'm really looking, I still have very wealthy clients, right? Um, and, and it's nice to still have very wealthy clients. They help pay bills. Um, I'm also seeking to do, you know, some of my, my purpose at this point of my career is to make sure that people from my community or people from my background understand the assets as they start to accumulate them, right? So people buy houses, you know, a lot of times they buy, buy houses they don't understand insurance contracts, right? They don't know what, what's inside of them. They don't know what they'll do or what they won't do. Um, and a lot of times we only want to buy the cheapest thing, right? And so because, because we don't know what we're purchasing and because we don't have anybody that, that looks like us, right, that's going to stay with you throughout the process, right? One of the things that I learned very early on was how black people and people from my demographic buy insurance. They traditionally pick up the phone, they call 1-800-INSURANCE, they speak to somebody one time, they never develop a relationship with them, they buy something that they may or may not really want or a bank told them that they have to get, right? And then it's over with, they pay the premium reluctantly and (laughs) they never, you know, put it in a drawer and never thinking about it again until something goes wrong, right? And so for me, one of the things that I realized that I was going to have to do if I was going to work with our community is I really figured out that I was going to have to make sure that I was able to tell stories, you know, or weave narratives because we're a visual people. Right. So I was going to have to weave narratives or weave stories that I had seen throughout the course of my career that were helpful so people could understand, oh, okay, now now that makes sense. The story is what people would buy, right? The story, the story is what people could relate to. And that is what honestly helped me to like really gain some gain some headway um, you know, in our community, some traction in our community. In terms yeah, of I got uh, one one more question, Trav. In, in in terms of um I, I think to your point, 
our uh, particular community, we're kind of like the delayed gratification thing is of a vague concept. <laughs> yeah. And then on top of that, we're oftentimes in spaces where, you know, we need access to capital that we think would wouldn't be there if we spent it all on, let's say, insurance. Mm -hmm. And insurance, we usually translate to in case shit happens, where it never does, right? You know, God, God forbid it does. I termed it best, yes. Yeah. Um, what, what are, are there any like strategies in leveraging your, your, uh, your policy, your insurance while you have it and you don't necessarily need it now, but, you know, perhaps borrowing against it or, some, some type of uh, strategy of that sort? Well, I, I think it depends definitely on the product, right? Um, and, and, that, and, and that, it goes back to what I was saying about what I do. Product knowledge is really key. You know, I, I make sure that I work with clients that I'm not, I'm not trying to oversell them. I want to put something in their hands that, that they can hold on to, um, something that will work for them, but also something that makes sense, right, for their budget and their lifestyle. I think, you know, too often why you see people fail out of this business, like a lot of people come through the door as an insurance salesman, right, and they don't stay because the business is hard. Yep. Um, and normally... If you are, you know, as a salesman coming through the door, if you're pushing your product to, to a bunch of people who make thirty, forty thousand dollars a year, the, the sales trainers teach you that's all you'll make, right? So they teach you very early on. You got to find people with deeper pockets with a lot of money, right? But you know, you learn this business um, on the day to day who you're to who you're talking to. You know, all walks of life, all all types of backgrounds. Um, and, and yes, are there particular products that are better for some than, than others? Yes. How we leverage them. It, it all, it, it all depends honestly on what kind of product, um, or, or we're talking about. I want to go back though, because I want to say this because I think it's important. You know, I think the, the relationship or the dysfunctional relationship that we have with insurance is not our fault. Mm -hmm. Um, we were preyed on, you know, um, by this industry. Um, and, and, and oftentimes I think that's why you don't see a lot of us in it. Right. Um, is because we don't really understand how this works or how this benefits our community. Right. Um, so the way you see us come into it is normally you'll see us come into the, the insurance business through like multi-level marketing products. So like a Primerica, for example, right. Is that necessarily the best company to be with, you know, the best products to offer your clients? Mm, you know, I'm, I'm not here to get sued by, by down in um, other companies, but I'll say that a lot of these multi-level marketing companies, the gimmick is how many people you bring in behind you. It's not the product you're selling itself, right? So you see these vacation companies where wish you were here and all this other stuff. It's not necessarily about the vacation. Most times it's about how many people that you bring in to sell the vacations behind you. And oftentimes you'll see the people that work at multi-level marketing companies or those types of organizations are us, right? Right now the hot product on the market is the weight loss tees. You know, that's a big deal. You see it all across social media. I'm not hating on anybody that does it. 
Um, I will just say that I think those businesses and those industries are typically low hanging fruit and they um, prey on a demographic or a culture like ours because it's easy. You know, it's, 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 it's easy to get, it's easy to get money um, from people who don't really understand how the products work or from people who are willing to lose money, you know, one time out the gate. Um, you think about how many people sold like millions of dollars off of one-time customers. They were able to find, just keep repeat finding one-time customers. It doesn't necessarily mean though that the product that you have is credible, right? right? So, but if you think about how these companies work and who they, who they look at, you know, in terms of demographics, we're, we're being preyed on and we're being preyed on a lot of times because we have consumer mentality. We buy, 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 right? We don't necessarily think about retaining, retaining, retaining. Um, and then the other, th- the, the, the other thing is that oftentimes because we don't understand the products that are being sold to us. Um, or we don't under we don't understand the market. It makes our, it makes us an easy target, right? And so the insurance industry is no different than that. The insurance industry, like you know, the earlier industries in the start of this country. When you think about how wealth was created in this country, it was created by farming, it was created by enslavement, you know, it was created by real estate, it was also created by insurance. Those are some of the oldest industries. They're older than the stock market. Uh, I think um, it was slave ships that were insured, if I'm not mistaken. That's yeah. that. Those were the first insur. Those were the first insurance companies that came to this country. You know, like companies like Lloyd's in London in 1615, they were insuring shipments that were coming over. Oh, coming over here. You know, homeowners insurance. Home the first homeowners insurance company was started by Benjamin Franklin, and it was you know to just create some a product so that farmers if they uh, so that a fireman if they built a house because they were building wood and because at that time we only had lighting with candles right it was very easy for a house to burn down they created those products in response to that insurance normally is not an industry that's innovative it exists in response to something else going wrong right. Um, so, but if you think about the money that they made, when I think about enslavement, you know, there was slave insurance policies. They were putting they were putting policies on their on their workers, on the people that they enslaved, so that if they died, they got paid. You know, if they worked them to death, they got paid. And so when you think of us now, we're only three, four generations removed from that, right? And if you think about it now, when people have a negative connotation or a negative um, or a negative narrative or viewpoint of insurance, I understand why. Because for so often, you know, we were used as either chattel or we were used as a way to get money. We weren't used, we weren't buying those policies to, to help us establish wealth in this country. It's not what they were used for. They were used against us, you know, and so it took us a while. It took us until later on in 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 business to understand why these contracts made sense. You know, the first insurance salesmen after Reconstruction, they were coming around selling, you know, our our grandfather, our great grandfathers and great grandmothers' burial policies. They were only giving them five thousand dollar policies that they paid more than five thousand dollars on over the life of the policy, you know? So when you think about stuff like that, when you think about how often our ancestors were taken for granted and, and, and tricked out of wealth, you know, opportunities, I completely understand why people, mm. this is not an industry that people gravitate towards, but this is an industry that other communities use as a way to protect 
their assets. They build assets. They use insurance to, to protect it, you know, or they use insurance to double their assets. We've got to start getting in that in that field. We've got to start playing that game. And it, it helps for people like me who understand, you know, to bring more people into the industry or be willing to train more people to get into the industry or talk about the industry enough so that more people will get want to get involved. Um, and that's, you know, that's my mission as of late, which is why I created the, the brokerage. Wow, that's amazing. Um, and also it was interesting to me because it's like, I feel like a, a good comparable industry is also the real estate industry. Yeah. Um, and becoming a real estate salesman is almost the same thing, right? Like if you're, if you're working with a, a client base with not a, a certain high income, you know, you're, you're kind of stuck at a certain income level. Um, but if you're able to rise up with a client base that makes money, then you can really start seeing this bread. But a lot of the time for us, people of color, the people making money are not the ones that look like us. They're or, outside of our community. Yeah, no, for sure. Or, you know, a lot of real estate agents now become investors, right? Because once they learn the game, um, and realize, you know, how much, I mean, cause real estate agents, they get killed by commission fees and taxes, right? It, it's not, um, it, it, it's all, so you, there's nobody in any industry that can't, that, that will tell you that one stream is going to cut it. Not in this America, you know what I mean? So when you learn this game, you have to find other ways inside of it or other games to play for sure. Um, but one of the things that I was able to learn very early is pay attention to how people made money. I was able to pay attention to how people made money. And, um, once you see how people make money, then you can go out and figure out how to do it for yourself. And yeah. And then, and then be, then be smart enough to hold on to it. That's, that's the other. (laughs) Absolutely. So I have actually have two questions on that. The first question was to the, the um the point that you just made as well too is being a black woman um and having to operate outside of your you know your community to be able to get those high net worth clients how are you able to transition and communicate on on a level where they can respect you and take you seriously and you could take them on as clients right because um obviously you know most we're we're biased right we're we're going to work with somebody who you know potentially looks like us um, but you had to, you know, for you, you, you've, you've, you've worked across different, um, companies within the, the insurance world, but also building your own company to the point where it's at, how were you able to elevate your game to be able to work with these high net worth individuals, even though they may not necessarily, you know, look like you from your community. So very early on, I, you know, number one, it was learning as much as I could, making sure that when I was talking about assets, when I was talking about wealth classes, when I was talking about it, that I sounded like I knew what I was talking about, right? So I read magazines from, you know, um, <laughs> I read Fortune magazine, Fortune magazine, I read Forbes magazine, you know, I read The Economist. Um, I just started getting up on lingo, you know, to just be able to pay attention to wealth trends, conversations that people were having about money. Um, I forced myself to network. You know, one of the things that I think is um, pays off dividends far longer than any one client 
is the ability to do a good job for a client and then ask that client, now, who can you refer me to, right? Or who's in your network? Who can I talk to besides you? Now, that, now I couldn't do that in the beginning. In the beginning, I had to learn the ropes. You know, I had to do a lot of the mechanical, the, the, the day in, day out stuff that wasn't as, that wasn't as fun. But, you know, very early on, I was able to, you know, get managers to believe in, number one, that I could do a good job. Um, number two, that, that I had the gift of gab, that I could have great conversations with people. And then number three, that I was better out talking in front of people than being stuck behind desks pushing paper, right? Um, and that allowed me very quickly, because in the insurance business, there's a lot of paper to push, right? But that allowed me to establish a client base, to establish trust, um, with, with my managers and my superiors that, that they were willing to trust me to be outside the office to do number one, good work on behalf of the company. But then not only that, you know, bring more opportunities into the organization and people were willing to reward me, um, you know, for doing good work. The other thing about that too, is for most of my career, I was a unicorn. You know, I literally was the only black woman in, in, in leadership when, when I got into it. Um, the, and the opportunity came so crazy. Um, the opportunity came because a major company was looking to, um, for a tax break, right? So they needed to work with a diversity company that had black people in leadership, right? And so I was a manager, but I wasn't an officer of the company. I didn't have title of like a vice president, but that's how I was promoted. I was promoted because that company was looking for a tax benefit. They wanted to work with someone like me. And only if I was promoted to an officer of the company, would they be willing to do the business? Um, so I did a good job and um, earned myself the promotion. And we were able to, to, to win that business. But, you know, it's just like pulling out little things in my career like that. Now, you know. That was this was this was fifteen this was ten eleven years ago, right? Um, you see more people in this industry now. You still see them though at service levels or as claims adjusters. You don't necessarily see people moving up the ranks into leadership, and that's not because we can't do a good job. It's because you know companies just don't look like us and are not willing to, to take the risk. And that's honestly why I decided to leave because I got tired of being in corporate spaces, being the only black woman, constantly feeling as if, you know, I was advocating for people who were not in the room, you know, and begging people to see the value in doing business with people who looked like me, which they didn't see, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so I was ahead of all of this racial unrest. Now it's cool to be a Black-owned company, right? People are coming with big products. They want to do business with Black-owned black, black -owned vendors. But last year when I was opening up this business, I was very afraid, right? Because I wasn't so sure. We didn't have all of this investment in Black business that we are, you know, are, are seeing this year. Um, but I was, uh, apparently I was on time. <laughs> I was right ahead of the curve. Indeed, indeed. Um, and what was my uh, my other question about that? Um, first was about yeah, how do you operate? Uh, boom, boom. Damn, I forgot that um that other question. So yeah, anyway, but um, tell us about um yeah your serious show um working with Karen Hunter, the Karen Hunter show. Tell us how you got into that space. So that actually came because 
business, the, the client that I were the clients that I was working with were entertainment clients. So they had money. They, they had a, a little prominence. They had access at the time. One of my clients was Morgan Freeman. Um, and so the opportunity, you know, came to really just bring my clients. That's really what the opportunity was about. You know, Karen was looking for me because she was honestly looking to see who she could talk to that I knew or that I was working with. Right. But when the mic opened up and she invited me in on her, on her 30 day trial run and I went day one, um, didn't anticipate anything. The mic opened up, conversation started. We were talking about business and it was, you know, just kind of moved over, moseyed on over to sports and entertainment. It just was natural. It was like, you know, pop culture, it was trends and topics and stuff that I was comfortable with. And I guess the banter back and forth between the two of us, you know, it, it, it was something fresh. It was a fresh perspective on on the channel or the network that, that hadn't been there. And at the end of her 30-day run, people started writing the, sh um, the executives and the producers to basically say that they wanted the show to come back and that they wanted me to be, you know, a part of the show. And so, you know, when when her offer was made, she made the offer to me to be her co-host. And I mean, it was a tremendous opportunity. We'd known each other our entire lives. Our families grew up together um, in Georgia. So, you know, her parents knew my parents. Um, we grew up like, fam like family. Um, and so it was that it was natural, you know, it was natural to have that kind of conversation across the mic because we were so comfortable with one another. Um, but giving that, you know, talking about insurance or giving counsel on the show weekly, you know, for business segments and topics, it was just kind of like helping me to establish myself as a brand and I didn't even realize it. So it was like it was it was God working together, honestly, because it was all coming together. Um, at the same time, you know, I was just doing what I'm used to doing, telling people what I know about what I do. And it just was beneficial, you know, to the demographic, the listening audience. And it gave me an opportunity to get my own show. That's incredible. Amazing. Amazing. Um, really quickly, you know, given the, the uh, circumstance of the health crisis or what have you, um, there are a lot of individuals who became unemployed and were like, you know what, now is the time, now and never. So they started their companies or what have you. What are, do you have, you know, like say three to five or, or let's just say three um, things that a new business owner should be looking into when uh, looking to insure or, or um, you know, protect their uh, business against risk? Yeah. So, you know, when I think about um, the time that we're in now, you know, I think back 10 years ago when we were in our last recession in 2007, 2008, um, 2009, when everything started to really tank, um, you know, we didn't have Airbnb. We didn't have Uber. We didn't have Uber Eats. You know, those industries, those companies were born out of this last recession. Uh, and so I think of things like that. You know, I think that when you decide to go into business, you have to be um, so gung-ho about the product or the offering or the service that you provide, you know, that you understand that there's a deficit or there's a need um, and that your company or your product or your service offering is going to meet that need in a way in which it hasn't been met before. Um, I think business owners need to be thinking that way. 
you know, when you think about how many of us go into business, a lot of us go into businesses that feel comfortable. You know, we open restaurants. Um, we sometimes do retail. Which is crazy because right. restaurants are terrible. The, <laughs> the risk is beating. crazy. Yeah, the restaurant industry is taking a beating right now. This is not necessarily a time where I would say, hey, go start a restaurant. But if there's a product or, or a service offering that you have that's not being offered, to the marketplace, I think, you know, you, you have to lead, you have to lead with conviction, um, on, on, you know, on, on things like that. But I think we have to start thinking outside of the box. You know, I, when I think about who, what, what companies, um, are raising all kinds of capital, you know, to, to, to grow and become the next big wave, a lot of that has, you know, has something to do with a tech boom. Either it's fintech, you know, financial tech for, uh, financial tech apps and companies are like explosive right now. And sure tech is is going to probably be the next next wave, right? And and I'm thinking about that. How my how my industry needs to change, especially now in times of COVID. You know, one of the things people do not want to do um in, in order to have to do business with you is tons of freaking paperwork, right? Right. And and the insurance industry is wrought with with paperwork. It's just something that we need to kind of like work our way through, especially now with COVID and people so many people come um teleworking uh and 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 working contributing from home. It's things that we necessarily have to think about. Um, that we didn't necessarily have to think about just six or eight months ago, right? The world has changed so tremendously since February when we kind of learned what COVID really was. Um, and I don't think it's going back, right? So I think business owners need to understand, number one, how to pivot, right? How to switch up or make something fresh that you've invested in or, or, or that you're doing. I think number two, they have to learn how to start to save money and put some money away. One of the unfortunate parts of being a black business owner is, you know what, it takes us a few years before anybody is willing to give us an opportunity, you know, at scaling or really offering any money, you know, venture capital or uh, offering uh, loans and stuff to our businesses. So a lot of times, how do we build our businesses? We build our businesses with customers, right? We build our businesses by having dope products. We build our businesses through social media by, you know, just speaking up for ourselves. If 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 I'm selling my own product and I don't speak well or I don't sound well, is anybody really going to be interested in it? Probably not. You know, so it's like those kinds of things that you have to be the master of your domain. You have to really understand um, what what you're offering, and, and and it has to make sense to the buying public. I've had people come to me to ask me about business. And they can't tell me three things about their own freaking business. How are you going in the business? You know what I mean? I, am I supposed to supply the knowledge? You're supposed to, when you ask for assistance or when you ask for mentorship, you know, there's certain things that you should already know about your industry, about the demographic that you're going to be selling or, or, or pushing your product towards, right? Um, and you should have, you should really, really have some understanding of how that industry works before you start having conversations. These are the, these are the types of things that I think that we need to understand as business owners. We truly have to understand the marketplace that we're stepping into, uh, and be willing to to really work hard, put that muscle in, and and and, and do it. Absolutely. This is actually the question I, I remember what I was going to ask. Now is um, um, since you have to be 
obviously you're a natural at sales because you have the gift of gab, you know how to communicate. Are there any like, can you share any sales tactics or tips for people to get better at selling or communicating with people to be able to like, you know, uh, you know, sell their product or get people to sign up for their services, et cetera? One of the things that I will say, one of the strongest parts of being a salesman is not talking all the time, listening. You know, the people that are buying from you have something to say, and you should be willing to stop talking to listen to listen to what it is that they have to say. And, you know, you have to make every every person feel important. I, I, there's been times when I thought that it, there was a small sale, you know, a $100 sale could turn you on to, um, you know, a, a $3,000 or $30,000 referral, you know. Mm-hmm. That's happened to me more than 10 times in my career. And it honestly comes from, number one, doing a good job, but listening to what people are saying. You know, when people are talking to me, I'm looking them in their eyes. I'm paying attention to what they're saying. If people tell me their kids' names, I remember them. You know, people tell me my my son goes to college or my son is at this school or my daughter is at this school. I remember that, you know, and and maybe not the next time I have a conversation with them, but, you know, conversations down the line or in an email, I'll mention, how's your family doing? Are they home for summer vacation? You know, what are your kids doing? Interesting this summer. Things like that people remember and they appreciate. Um, And I think once they remember and they appreciate it, then it, you know, it gives them reason to want to continue to do business with you. It is hard to pull your business away from somebody who's really intertwined or in your life or somebody that you believe cares about, you know, your family's well-being or cares about your business. You know, when, when I insure somebody's business, especially I work with a lot of small business owners because I'm a small business owner, right? So I understand the needs of small business owners. When they come to me and they tell me, you know, what they're experiencing in their industry, I listen. You know, if I have expertise, if I have industry knowledge, I give it to them. You know, not everything is a sale. Sometimes it takes you to give out, you know, a wealth of free information, you know, um, so that people appreciate it. Right. If, if everything is on, you know, no, you got to pay for my information. You got to pay for this. You got to pay for that. You know, people start feeling like there's a constant pitch. Right. Um, and that's not really how I do business. I just want to work with, I don't want everybody's business. I just want to work with, you know, three or 400 or maybe a thousand great families or great business owners, um, and do a good job, you know, and do a good job for them so that they can live their lives with less risk, live their lives with less stress and know that they have, you know, excellent protection or that if something goes wrong, there'll be a safety net there to catch them. Absolutely. Well, this has been amazing. It's been a whole lot of information. Um, so glad we had you on the podcast. We asked all our guests um, this question who's going on the Driven Society podcast is what, what drives you? What what makes you keep going every day, wake up every morning and, and get straight to the work and, you know, produce results? What's that thing that just, you know, keeps you going? Um. You know, for a while, I would say that my fear fueled a lot of what I was doing, right? I was, what? I was afraid to be broke, you know, <laughs> afraid, <laughs> afraid. It's reasonable uh, fear. Yeah, man. <laughs> Listen, afraid of, I have children, so, you know, I wanted them to grow up in, um, in a way in which I didn't, you know, I wanted them to have both their parents in the household and see their parents really love each other and, 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 and work together, right. To try to make a life for, for one another, uh, with one another for, for them. 
Um, so honestly, my children is a big drive of, uh, you know, a lot of what, what I do. I don't want them. A lot of people say they have children, oh, they, the kids need to work hard or the kids need to scrape by and struggle until they make it. I kind of don't, you know, I, I, I kind of don't look at it, at life that way. I look at life like, um, you know, each generation is hopefully here to make things better for the next generation. Right. Um, 20 years ago, did I think I, I was going to be owning an insurance brokerage? Absolutely not. I don't know what I thought I was going to be doing, but I definitely didn't think that this would be it. Um, but what drives me every every day is, you know, seeing people whole, you know, seeing people restored by something that I offered them that, that made their lives better or something that protected them, you know, when something went wrong in their family. Um, I had the opportunity, my brokerage hasn't been in existence for a very long time, but I sold a policy, a life insurance policy to a woman whose husband died in a car accident six months after I sold her the policy, you know, delivering a a million dollar check to somebody who just lost their husband and doesn't think that, you know, they they can move on with their life. You know, it, it gives them some comfort. It doesn't remove the wound, but it gives them some comfort that, you know, from a financial standpoint, they'll be okay. You know, doing that kind of work, it, 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 leave, it leaves me with a sense of purpose. You know, it just makes me feel like, you know, my family is going to be protected and other fam- other people's families are going to be protected too by my work. Um, that makes me feel good. That makes me, you know, feel like I can get up and, and do it again, even when things feel hard, you know? Um, just that, just that knowing a generation from now, there will be families that were able to create a legacy because of products that I sold. Like that means a lot to me. Mm. Absolutely. Oh yeah, that's that's that is an ill tally when you think about it. Like the the millions of dollars that you are able to help um, families generate. Yeah. You know? so yeah. Because life insurance, I've always been, I've always been told like life insurance is the way is the way we can pass down our parents can pass down well for whatnot a lot of the time it's not they may not have the you know the home asset or whatnot but insurance is it's like a start of how we can start passing down wealth yeah no seriously it is life insurance is definitely a tool to help create wealth um but if you think about it you know and 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 not that anybody would have wanted their wealth created this way you know one of the stories that i tell um which is a very hard story to tell but about the death of trayvon martin you know Mm. Um, I didn't know Trayvon. I didn't know Trayvon's family. But one of the the um, one of one of the examples that I that I talk about often is the condo insurance where his the condo the condo where his father lived. Um, when Trayvon was killed, um, because he was killed by someone who also owned a condo in that um, in that association. You know that condo unit association was responsible for paying the million dollar lawsuit that Trayvon's family filed. Um, why? So every member that owned a piece uh, that owned a condo in that building, they were hit with um, a fee to pay towards the death of Trayvon Martin. Wow. Right. And, and why do I talk about that? For a couple of reasons. Um, you know, when you think about how our families have been torn apart, you know, um, and not that anything would ever bring, back the loss uh, the tremendous loss like like someone's son right but just imagine i'm not i don't intend on killing anybody that this day 
how do I know that my next door neighbor though is not crazy, right? We live in the same complex. And because I have life insurance, I mean, because I have condo insurance and he does something stupid that my condo insurance is going to, you know, be forced to pay out for something dumb that he does on the same premises that we live on, live on. But that's essentially what happened. Right. So we go through life. We go through life every single day managing risk. Right. Either we manage it well or it gets managed, you know, in ways in, in ways that are not well, right? And so for people who lived in that condo association or who lived in that, in, in those buildings and didn't have any insurance, right? Now they're on the hook for something that they didn't even have anything to do with, mm-hmm. right? But when we talk or when we educate people about products or about what they need, like these are the kinds of conversations that you have from a real life perspective, you know, what condo owner thinks that they'll be responsible, you know, for, for paying out, the paying out towards a loss that they didn't have anything to do with. But this is what happens when you buy a condo. You're, you, you are a shareholder in an establishment or an association where you are one, however many, out of however many numbers of, of people that, hmm. uh, that are involved, right? And so it's just getting people to understand um, where they are, what they have, what assets they have, and what responsibilities that they have for the assets that they are accumulating or exposing themselves to on a day-to-day basis is at the heart of what we do. Got you. Well, That's tremendous. You. We appreciate you being on the podcast. This has been a wealth of information. I know Franz can attest. Yeah, for um, sure. Please definitely tell the people where they can find you on the socials or how they can even maybe reach out for any type of business. Yeah, so on social media, uh, Instagram, um, you can find me at All About Syl, S-Y-L. Um, on Twitter, I'm Sylvia, S-Y-L-V-I-A-K, Austin, A-L-S-T-O-N. Uh, the name of my company is Momentum Risk Management for all of your insurance needs. We work with small businesses, individuals, success, successful families, uh, corporations, nonprofit organizations, you name it. We, um, we, we, we kind of do it. <laughs> and then my show on Sundays, it, it airs at noon and it re-airs at 8 p.m. Uh, on Sirius XM channel 126 Urban View. And it's called yeah. Next Nation. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Uh, we um wow, this has been great. Really appreciate you again just being on the podcast and sharing your story and share what you do. Um I know I'm gonna have some people to send you away for sure. So yeah, thanks again, Sylvia. No, thank you. Thank you both for what you do and thank you for the experiences that you provide because you young brothers, listen, you what you're doing is is hella important, you know, I- exposing people to brands and exposing people, you know, to experiences that they don't have an opportunity to see on a day-to-day basis and exposing these companies to us, you know, that's that's real that's real work, you know, showing them that like so many other demographics and like so many other communities, we like to we like to have fun. You know, we like to have our brunches. We like to have our mimosas too, but we like information and we like, we like good products. Right. And because we're consumers, we want to make sure that, you know, we're getting, we're getting good experience and with great products and great companies too. So thank you both for what you do. Thank Absolutely. you. We appreciate that. There you have it guys. The, the brilliant Sylvia Austin. We appreciate this. Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your evening. You too. Awesome. Okay.